0: Apple WWDC and all of their privacy and security updates. Lots of good stuff actually that we're gonna talk about. Telegram is handing over user data, not good stuff. And Twitter is also handing over user data to Elon Musk now. Lots more, interesting week. Welcome to Civilian Support 91, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the last week. I am Henry from Techlore. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And we're going to keep it short this week. Monero. Monero is a very easy way to privately support us. If you want to send us a little bit of help for keeping this podcast free for everyone, go ahead and send us Monero. It's down in the description. And we also have a Patreon if you want some weekly perks, like a QA and a that's at the end of this. And also you get a sponsor-free segment version of the audio and video versions of these segments. I don't know. That was all over the place. Join our Patreon. Also, I will be gone next weekend. So I got to live up to the Henry's never here memes. Uh, So I will not be here. Only Nate will be here next weekend.
1: All right. With that, we're going to start off with our highlight story about Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference or WWC. This is very similar to Google's IO conference that we covered a little while ago. Henry's going to cover most of these because I did not catch the conference. There's a few points that I am familiar with. So first off, we're going to talk about pass keys. We have mentioned these in the past. Uh, Pass keys are basically just passwordless authentication that... Apple is now actually rolling out. There's been a lot of talk about them, but Apple's actually going to go ahead and commit to it. At the moment, they're going to be phone-based... Uh, They're going to be tied to your Apple account. At least, you know, these ones are. They're basing it off the FIDO standard. Anybody can adopt it. Anybody can use it. So in the future, we may see some interoperability beyond just your Apple account. We may see Google pick this up and stuff like that. The next thing they announced is Safety Check, which is actually a pretty cool feature. It's designed to help people who are victims of domestic abuse or partner violence from someone they live at home with. And it basically gives you a chance to very quickly and easily review and reset access that others may have
0: pretty much so what's going to happen here is this will automatically disable things like find my friends find my iphone and any other possibly privacy or security invading feature on the phone so it's just like one easy way to just make sure like anything on the phone isn't going to be shared with someone else I, I, I don't know every single feature that's going to be enabled or disabled, but that's the general idea.
1: So like Henry said, um, there's two ways that safety check works. The first one is emergency reset, which is for crisis situations when you need to immediately reset access across all the people in apps. And the second is manage and sharing access, which provides more fine-grained control and uh, is meant for non-emergency situations the last thing they announced that i'm familiar with is the rapid security response which is basically this is going to be available for mac and iphone and it basically allows security updates to be rolled out out of band so right now security updates are rolled out with other updates you know and that's how you get like iOS 15.4.1 or 4.2.5, whatever. This is going to make security updates a completely separate thing. So you can update the security of your phone without necessarily having to roll out new features. And additionally, it will make these security updates uh, happen automatically without needing to restart the device, which is really cool because then your phone can just update overnight. You don't have to worry about waking up and having some new crap feature you didn't want and stay secure. So that's really good. And now Henry is going to take over the rest of the developments.
0: Up next, this is going to be kind of an alternative to Google captcha and all the other annoying captchas we deal with, and it's called private access tokens. So this is used by standardized technology and it's coordinated by a number of companies. So it's not just Apple. What this protocol does is essentially allows servers to request tokens using a new HTTP authentication method, private token. These tokens use RSA blind signatures to cryptographically sign the fact that a client was able to pass a check. These signatures are unlinkable, which means that servers only receive tokens that say whether or not a user is valid, but they can't discover the client or anything about the user. Um, In other words... This is like a more convenient, less privacy-invasive CAPTCHA. It's pretty cool if this actually pans out the way it's supposed to. The best analogy I can think of is um, this is kind of like um, a YubiKey in a way where you locally authenticate that this is your YubiKey and all the website can see is the authentication for that. Up next, so previously to stream media, you would use things like Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or one of Apple's other protocols. Generally, this came along with apps needing permission to access the local network and often Bluetooth. This permission is needed because knowledge of all devices is required to manage device selection. However, this provides access to more information than is necessary and poses a fingerprinting risk. So media device discovery is a new feature that lets an app stream to only selected devices without having access to the entire local network device list or Bluetooth. Streaming devices appear right in the same picker as AirPlay, and apps only see the device picked to stream to. So this is another big improvement for people with a lot of devices in their home. If you've ever used AirDrop in a public space, this is how you share files between um, different uh, iDevices, you've surely seen the Apple device names with the person's name pre So you'll see like Lexi's iPhone or something when you're at a coffee shop. This is done to make it easier to identify devices. But now this uidevice.name API will return just the model of your device, such as iPhone 13, regardless of how the device name is customized. Um, I think that's great, but I, I'm i curious if you can customize the name still, because it might be confusing if you're in a coffee shop and you see 10 iPhone 13s all in one place. So I guess we'll see how that, that was gets. my
1: first question. I I live in a, a nicer area where a lot of people have very recent iPhones and it's like this could get real confusing real fast.
0: Yeah, my guess is that this might just en- enable them to by default hide the name, but allow you to make a name or something. I don't know. We'll see, This is I'm, I'm kind of unclear on the details too. With macOS Ventura, this is the new version of macOS, when new USB and Thunderbolt accessories are connected to a Mac with Apple Silicon, you will now be required to give approval before the accessory can communicate with the operating system. Accessory security, which is the name of this feature, doesn't apply to power adapters, standalone displays, or connections to an approved hub, aka Apple hubs. Devices can still charge even if you choose Don't Allow, but by default the system will ask for new accessories to be utilized, which is really cool and should give you better security by default. Up next, Gatekeeper is another security feature of macOS. Um, This has been around for a while. It essentially checks the integrity of newly downloaded applications. In Ventura, that new version of macOS, Gatekeeper will now check the integrity of all notarized apps, not just quarantined apps. So with this change, it is important for apps to be properly signed by developers. It's essentially Apple's way of requiring more signed applications. In macOS Ventura, developers can now use a new single API to launch their app, launch agent or Daemon at login these apps will be allowed to launch at login by default and you will be notified. Um, Probably the best demonstration of this is, let's say you download Signal and Signal now opens when you log in, you will now get notified that Signal added itself as a login process. So this is just a little bit of an extension of that. And also I think it speaks to how awesome permission management is on macOS. So I wish that Linux and Windows caught up with uh, Apple in this regard. Up next, when apps use location on your iPhone, iOS now displays an arrow in the status bar. This is new in iOS 16, and swiping down from the control center now additionally indicates which app was using your location. Also in iOS 16, the system confirms intents for all access to pasteboard items written by other apps. So um, right now it says, you know, Duolingo copied your clipboard, but now Duolingo can essentially ask to copy slash paste from your clipboard. So it's a little bit of a step further there. And finally, those those last
1: two are amazing.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's really cool. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure Android's probably going to get that too in the next version because now that Apple's done it. Android will cover the takeaways too. Because that's Um, super cool. Exactly. And finally, there's a pH picker API that provides permission to apps to access only the photos needed. So you might remember in iOS 14 when Apple announced that you can now just give apps access to certain photos. Um, This is now available on macOS too in Ventura. And also the watch with watchOS 9, which is also a very welcome improvement. The summary here on my end, and I will let Nate comment too, I think this is only fantastic stuff, to be honest. I, I mean, I'm, I'm still critical of Apple when I need to be, and it's hard for me to really poke holes in many of these changes. It's really solid stuff overall. Um, the cool thing is seeing how some of these changes will carry over into other sides of the world. It's going to be cool to see Android hopefully pick up things like that uh, clipboard paste feature. Um, I'm still waiting on end-to-end encryption on iCloud. That's my biggest Apple criticism, hands down. But I think these are all great improvements that will make privacy easier for people.
1: Yeah, overall, I agree. Um, I, I am just a naturally cynical person. So I do reserve, reserve a little bit of cynicism like that private access token. What's it really going to look like when it's rolled out? Um, how often will it be used? You know, unfortunately, a lot of people don't really care about this kind of stuff, even though they should. So will it see widespread adoption or, or not? Um, which isn't really Apple's fault necessarily, but, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see how it all actually comes out when it's
0: enforced, but at least on paper, I agree with you, these seem like really good wins. We're gonna migrate over to data breaches, we're gonna start off with a Turkish flight operator, Pegasus Airlines suffers data breach. So this was an unprotected AWS bucket, we haven't taken a shot in a long time, so take a dusty shot. And um, this also impacted up to 23 million files, including names, phone numbers, email addresses, titles, flight information of past journeys, flight locations, and photo and signature of some employees.
1: Our next data breach comes from the Shields Healthcare Group who had a data breach affecting 2 million patients. Shields is a Massachusetts-based provider specializing in MRIs, PET, and CT scans, as well as other diagnostic imaging. The breach included full name, social security number, date of birth, home address, provider information, insurance number and information, medical record number, patient ID, and quote, other medical or treatment information. So yeah, only moral we got here with as with all these data breaches freeze your credit if you live in an area that lets you do that.
0: Next, this is a pretty serious one. So, the Italian city of uh, Palermo, I'm not gonna say it well, um, they shut down all of their systems to fend off a cyber attack. So, this city is home to about 1.3 million people, the fifth most populous city in Italy. The area is visited by another 2.3 million tourists every year, and according to multiple local media outlets, the impacted systems include the public video surveillance management, the the police operation center, and all of the services. All citizens have to use obsolete fax machines to reach public offices, and tourists cannot access online bookings for tickets to museums and theaters, or even confirm their reservations in facilities. These attacks impact people— Everyone who's listening to this, who thinks that data breaches aren't a big deal, it might start with just data, but these things are starting to leak more and more into the real world. So I think this really speaks to how important security is, not just a I-have-nothing-to-hide perspective, but also just a I-need-to-get-food-and-water-on-my-table perspective, because pretty soon those things will be attacked as well. And also I think that speaks to uh, something Nate and I have talked about in the past, which is prep. What do you do if your internet goes out for the next week? What do you do if you don't have energy in your home for the next week because of a cyber attack? Are you ready for that kind of stuff? So think about those things. You don't need to make radical changes in your life right now but start to think about those things.
1: Our next data breach comes from Mobike where thousands of users, passport and IDs were exposed online. So Mobike was a bike sharing service in Asia, and over 120,000 passports, driver's licenses, and identity documents uploaded by users, and also contained 94,000 selfies and 49,000 signatures, also for verification. This was once again an unsecured AWS bucket with an easily guessable name. So take another shot. Nobody took responsibility, uh, and, and, and like more so than usual. Like when when uh, I believe it was TechCrunch uh, did this story. I can't remember, but you know when they reached out to Mobike to be like, hey, this this is open. Like, literally, everybody kept being like, oh, yeah, we we don't own that company anymore. Contact these people. And so it it was a long game of of telephone. But finally, somebody secured the bucket, thankfully. So, um, yeah, this is one of many reasons we're not fans of KYC stuff.
0: Like, it's pretty ridiculous. you got to share your driver's license to ride a bike. Online gun shops in the U.S. were hacked to steal credit cards. Uh, This was Rainier Arms and Numeric Gun Parts. I'm not a big gun person, so I probably would have... Mispronounced some of those, but they've disclosed the data breach as a result of card skimmers. This affected 46,000 to 45,000 customers, respectively. Details of what was captured were not disclosed, but it's safe to say pretty much everything probably was. That's always the safe assessment to make on these situations. Um, our takeaway is to try to use masked payments if you can, or ideally just avoid online shops for this kind of stuff, or really anything if you can. Uh, if your absolute goal is security, then lack of data is your best approach, and buying things with cash in a store. Can't really be beat. And we're gonna migrate over to companies. So we're gonna start with Facebook, who is developing a privacy safe, oh, privacy safe ad product as it tries to save its advertising business. So this is a quote here, Meta Platforms Facebook, Meta Platforms, oh, I hate how that's like a thing now. So Meta Platforms Facebook is planning a basic ads product that doesn't rely on people's information as privacy changes squeeze its ability to collect user data. Meta hopes to have it ready for testing in Europe in January and the U.S. shortly after. Already, Meta has cut down on the number of metrics available to advertisers from 11 to 6, and Google has announced a similar move to make targeting less specific. While I think, I don't know, I'm curious to hear Nate's thoughts here, I think we both probably address these are probably positive steps in the right direction We both probably think that this whole industry just can't possibly rely or thrive on, in in a private way. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say here. But I just, I'm skeptical of Facebook ever actually ever being a private service.
1: That's what I was going to say. Like, honestly, I just distrust Facebook through and through. Like, they could cure cancer and I'd wonder what the catch is. So... I'm I'm with you, and yeah, I agree with you. I don't think, at least not at this scale, I don't think these ad tech companies can exist privately. I'm sure that private advertising can be done, but just not the same, like, if it were done, Meta and Google and all those other advertisers would not look anything like they do today, I don't think. Our next story comes from Twitter, who is going to give Elon Musk a ton of user data. All of it, really. So uh, for those of you living under a rock, Elon Musk, Said that he was gonna buy Twitter. And then there's something about bots, and he's like, never mind, I'm not sure I wanna do this anymore. But he had concerns about the number of bots on Twitter, and Twitter was like, we're not gonna give you any user data to allay your fears. And then they changed their mind. And the article, uh, actually, I think the article was quoting Twitter. They said they're going to give him a quote, fire hose of data. Pretty much everything, honestly, like every tweet, all the analytics, it, everything, really, probably including messages. So the moral here is to remember that once you give up your data, you've lost control of it. At no point did you have the opportunity or do you have the opportunity to message the Twitter board and be like, hey, I don't want my tweets getting turned over to Elon Musk. Like, too bad, they're going to. Just keep that in mind. And also this drives home the importance of end-to-end encryption. You know, if you ever sent a message that you didn't want someone else reading, if it wasn't end-to-end encrypted, that's too bad. They can. So yeah just keep that in mind.
0: Up next, another data handover from Telegram, (laughs) who's reportedly surrendered user data to authorities despite insisting, quote, zero bytes had ever been shared. So Telegram claims they've never shared user data before, citing that they have an exceptionally high standard that must be met before handing over data, which is already a contradictory statement. Um, But pretty much, uh, Der Spiegel? Is that... So yeah, Der Spiegel claims that Telegram has fulfilled a number of data requests from Germany. We also shared a story in SR81 about how Telegram admitted to sharing data with Brazil. This was at timestamp 2835, if you're curious. Just to add on to this, you're probably, what, monthly reminder that Telegram does not have end-to-end encryption by default and is not something we generally recommend to people unless they understand the limitations involving that. And I want to throw in here, Telegram actually has a transparency report. They call it a transparency report. But do you know what it is? It's just a chat. It's like a Telegram chat. It's a it's a channel with no messages in it from 2018. So it's just an empty Telegram channel that they call a transparency report that doesn't talk about any of these cases that we're talking about. This is not a transparency that's, that's,
1: report. That's what makes it a transparency report is it is transparent. There is <laughs> <It's>, nothing there. <laughs>
0: exactly. It's, it's just really funny to me because people like unironically will, and I have no issue saying this, people unironically like shut down Apple, but at least Apple has like a transparency report where they're actually very transparent about the information they give to the governments. And then those people will complain about Apple on Telegram, which isn't even willing to come forward and be like, okay, yeah, we gave up this information in this case here. My takeaway today is use services that are proven. Signal is proven to collect almost nothing. There have been actual court documents that have been released to the public that show they were almost able to give nothing. Not even your phone number, nothing. If you're just grounded and looking at the evidence around you, why are you going to ever trust what Telegram has to say when they can't maintain a transparency report with things that they are able to keep up on? At least with these big tech companies, at least you know for a fact they're not being private you can look at their transparency reports because yeah they don't care
1: they'll say it in there because they know nobody reads it (laughs) exactly like
0: telegrams in the worst position this is very opinionated by the way so i apologize um like we covered the fact-based story but this is getting more opinions here this is in my opinion like the worst place to be you have something that's claiming to be private claiming to be transparent and provides nothing to like verify that information that they're giving you so it's a huge false sense of privacy, which the big tech companies do too, but at least if you bother to look, read through their privacy policy, you'll learn really quickly they're not. But Telegram doesn't have that as an option. You have to watch. You have to listen to surveillance report to know that.
1: All right, up next we have an update on the whole India VPN thing, and um, this is just a real quick one. The headline says, Indian VPN providers resist incoming data logging law. They mentioned, which we also mentioned last week, ExpressVPN said that they were going to pull out of India, and we said... We're going to wait and see what others do. Hopefully, this will push other people into action. Um, Proton has gone on record and said they're going to continue to operate in India, but they're going to refuse to comply with the rule. You know, that's interesting. We always say that like companies are not going to protect you at the risk of, of a government. Um, maybe it's because they're not based in India. I don't know. That's That's a really interesting development. We'll see how it shakes out. But yeah, Proton is doubling down, and we'll let you know how that works out for them. All right, and then our next story comes from MongoDB. The headline says a long-awaited defense against data leaks may have just arrived. Quoting the article, queryable encryption from MongoDB allows users to search data while it remains encrypted. So MongoDB has released this thing. They're calling it queryable encryption, and they say it allows users to search a database while the database remains encrypted. And most importantly, this is built to work with existing databases and does not necessarily like only work going forward. And it is open source, which is also a huge plus. So the idea here is that um, when data is encrypted, it's very secure and it's safe from attackers and ransomware, of course. But the problem is that data is usually decrypted because people need to use it while they work. The idea is that this will allow people to do their work in databases without having to decrypt the entire database and it will improve security. The article goes into a lot of detail. Once again, this is one of those stories that kind of went over my head but
0: you should definitely give it a read. And I think this is probably an overall win for security. Super quick. Android June, 2022 updates bring fix for critical RCE vulnerability. This is a critical update, automatic updates, or check for updates to be sure. With that,
1: we will move into the research section. And we're gonna start with a story that says, Wi-Fi probing exposes smartphone users to tracking and info leaks. I'm going to quote different sections of the article here. Researchers at the University of Hamburg in Germany have conducted a field experiment capturing hundreds of thousands of passerbys Wi-Fi connection probe requests to determine the type of data transmitted without the device owners realizing it. Uh, Real quick pause for those of you who don't know. Wi-Fi probing is basically, you know how you come home and your phone automatically connects to your home Wi-Fi? That's because your phone, unless you turn off the Wi-Fi, is constantly pinging to see if there's any networks it knows. And then it... um, you know connects to ones it knows probing uses anonymized mac addresses so most of the time in theory most of the time this is not a huge risk quoting the article again the experiment occurred in november 2021 in a busy pedestrian zone in the center of a german city the team used six antennas six antennas to capture probes in various channels and spectrums they recorded all broadcasted wi-fi connection problems for three hours capturing a total of 252,242 probe requests In 23.2% of the cases, they found that the request broadcast SSIDs of networks those devices connected to in the past. So that's the Wi-Fi name. In just three hours, the researchers had 58,489 SSDs. So in just three hours, they had almost 60,000 Wi-Fi names from random passerby phones, which in many cases contained numeric strings with 16 or more digits that were likely initial passwords of popular German home routers from Fritzbox or Telecom. So in other words, most of these people probably got the routers, Kept the default password, which is sin number one. And then when they were out and about, and their phone was pinging to see if it recognized any networks, not only was it looking for FBI surveillance van, it was broadcasting the password to connect to the Wi-Fi. Uh, the article says, leaving aside the data exposure and the scenario of setting up malicious hotspots and accepting connections from nearby devices, the main implication here is persistent tracking. Because if if you're using a unique Wi-Fi and password, that can be tracked. So the moral of the story here: turn off your Wi-Fi and your Bluetooth when you're not actively using them. And uh, the article goes on to mention that every successive version of both iOS and Android offers more and more protections against this kind of thing. So make sure you're using the latest OS for the best protection.
0: All right, really quick story. Here's the headline. Gone in 130 seconds. New Tesla hack gives thieves their own personal key. So for those who don't know, on Tesla's... The new ones, you get key cards, and the key cards are like kind of the first key you get for the car, but you can most people will use their phones or they'll use a key fob. You can buy a key fob separately. Essentially, that NFC key, the key card that you get, um, can essentially be copied. So if someone gets physical access to it, like a valet or something, they can actually make a copy of their own personal key and then gain access to your car. It's unlikely to be exploited in most situations, but it's something to be aware of, not just for Teslas, but really any car that has any kind of wireless BS to get in because this stuff seems to happen with every form of wireless anything. I guess that's kind of the main takeaway today. Be careful with wireless stuff. Also, if you are on a Tesla, you can enable pin to drive. So even if someone has your key, they can't drive your car.
1: Our next story was kind of a big one. The headline says how one paper just blew up Bitcoin's claim to anonymity. This paper outlines how some researchers went and looked at all of the Bitcoin miners in the first couple years of Bitcoin's existence. And basically they found out that contrary to popular belief, Bitcoin was only mined by 64 individuals during that time. And from there, they were basically able to trace Bitcoin out to where it is today. I mean, that's, that's kind of it. We've said before that Bitcoin is not anonymous, at least not by default. There's steps you can take to make it anonymous. This is actually why we only use Monero now. We're both kind of big believers in Monero. Yeah, if you want to learn more about that, we recommend Matt O'Dell's Bitcoin privacy guide or, you know, again, just use Monero because it's kind of got all this stuff built in. And yeah, we're just trying to help dispel the myth that Bitcoin is anonymous because it's not by default. Again, can be made, but it's a lot of work and it's not by default.
0: All right, we're gonna migrate over to the politics section. The first one, a privacy bill allows for turning off targeted advertising. So this is in the US and some other highlights of this proposed bill is it prevents use of data in a way that discriminates, requires data collection to be minimized only to what's quote necessary and it creates an opt-out. Um, The wording of the article kept saying it would allow people to opt out of, quote, targeted advertising, but didn't explicitly say data collection or what the scope of that really was. So it could be good to have some form of national data regulation, so this might be a great start, We just don't know at this point. It's just hard to to make an assessment on this stuff.
1: On that note, the White House is developing a national strategy to increase data collections as privacy tech improves. So I'm gonna quote the article, a pending national strategy on data collection and analytics will focus on regulation and policy changes according to a forthcoming request for public comments. Basically, the White House is saying like, hey, we're getting better, like we as a society, not the White House, we're getting better at creating technology that can collect data without violating people's privacy So we want to get in on that because, understandably, there is some data that would be very, very helpful for things like civic planning. Problem is, I I think a lot of us would agree that privacy tech is not where it needs to be. Either way, the important thing there was a forthcoming request for public comments. So down in the, the show notes, we have a link. You can leave a comment up until July 8th, and you can also read the whole proposal.
0: And, yeah, just... Let them know what you think of whether or not this is possible or a good idea. Up next, the U.S. Justice Department offers blueprint for more innovative, secure IT capabilities. This is probably on a more positive note. The Justice Department has outlined a three-year plan to boost U.S. cybersecurity, focusing mainly on supply chain security, zero trust, and other nebulous things like embracing innovation and increasing financial security. So. Sorry, it was
1: financial transparency. I mistyped that one.
0: Oh, financial transparency. So we'll see how that shakes out. Um, at this point, really anything's an improvement. So we'll see how that unfolds.
1: Our next story says records show ICE uses LexisNexis to check millions, far more than previously thought. So ICE is the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement here in the U.S. And LexisNexis is one of the... Uh, I guess biggest, most popular, most successful data brokers out there. ICE has been using LexisNexis since it parted ways with its previous data broker back in 2021. But far from using the platform strictly for checking for those with, quote, serious criminal backgrounds, unquote, the agency is performing searches in the millions statistically obtained – statistics obtained by watchdog organizations suggest. So the people who did this research were Justice Future – or Just Futures Law and – Mejente, I probably mispronounced that, and they have found that ICE performed 1.2 million searches in a seven-month period, which seems to far exceed the stating purpose of only using it for serious criminal background checks. I'm gonna be honest and inject a little bit of my opinion here. I need context. Let me just read the note I wrote here. How many searches should we expect to see in a quote-unquote reasonable use? And wouldn't it make sense that the removal department is doing most of the searches to verify who does and doesn't have violent records? So uh, this article, in my opinion, they really didn't do a good job of explaining their logic. Like, I, I think we can all agree that this is really dystopian, and that's a lot of searches, and it's it's disconcerting. But like I said, how many searches should we expect to see? What, what would be more reasonable? I don't know. I just – I didn't really understand where they were coming from. But I do agree that, like um, – The article says here some of the data that they can obtain through LexisNexis, financial records, past jobs, phone and cable bills, social networks, like your actual social networks, not just Facebook. Like they can map who – you know, this is this person's mom, this is this person's friend, this is this person's coworker. Like that's pretty disturbing stuff. But as far as the actual number of searches, um, I I need more context on that personally. But yeah, either way, this is a lot of information that – they probably don't need all of that information. It's it's pretty dystopian.
0: All right, up next, this is a kind of a fun one, especially if you live in Illinois. Google has settled a lawsuit with Illinois residents for $100 million after photo app privacy concerns. So Google was accused of violating the Illinois, quote, Biometric Information Privacy Act because of their tool that automatically recognizes and sorts faces in the Google Photos application, which did not obtain consent from users. Google has also added more information about data retention and processing to their support page, likely as a result of this suit.
1: This is just a real quick good news kind of update. France has updated their guidance on the use of Google Analytics to reflect the recent ruling that Google Analytics violated EU law, as well as the still nebulous agreement that the US and EU reached to find a new data transfer method that is safe from intelligence agencies. We briefly covered that. Um, It seems like nobody still knows what that agreement was or what it entails. It's still super opaque. But yeah, just, um, yeah, it's just really cool. France has updated their guidelines and said, hey, just know that depending on how it's used, Google Analytics could be illegal and act accordingly. So that's good to see people are sticking with that message
0: and picking up the momentum. And now the FOSS News free and open source, starting with Google. Yes, in the open source section. So... I'm going to keep this short and simple because it's actually kind of complex. The Google Hardware Toolchains team is launching a new developer portal to help the developer community get started with its open MPW shuttle program, which will allow anyone to submit open source integrated circuit designs to get manufactured at no cost. Some quick bullets, designers are now free to start their projects liberated from NDAs and usage restrictions. Researchers are able to make their research reproducible by their fellow peers, and open source EDA tools can integrate deeply with the manufacturing process. If this went over your head, this is all just like hardware stuff. It's a very exciting move by Google that can help bring many of the philosophies of the FOSS world in, in the software side of things to the hardware world. So that's Pretty exciting. Stuff.
1: Our next story comes from Gnome and it says toward Gnome Shell on mobile. Basically Gnome is working to be more mobile friendly. That's kind of the entire gist of this article. You can read the article to see exactly what they plan to do and how they plan to go about it. They're being very realistic. They don't expect to solve all phone related problems at all, but they do want to tackle some of the big ones. The, among other things, they're looking at screen screen size detection, on-screen keyboards, and gesture recognition. So this could be good news for things like the PinePhone and, uh, you know, pretty much any other phone hardware that wants
0: to run Linux. This could be a good step forward. Up next is a Linux tool t- called Timeshift, which is essentially a backup system. It's kind of like Time Machine a little bit, but for Linux. Um, the developer, the creator, has ceased development. However, Linux Mint has taken over the project, so Linux Mint is now taking over the development of Timeshift, which is very exciting.
1: All right, and our last FOSS story is just a quick one. Mulvad said they have a possible DNS leak fixed in their Windows app. So just a heads up, if you're a Mulvad Windows user, be sure to update because your app may have been
0: leaking DNS possibly. And the misfits of the week, our final section. A new malware called Emotet. Don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, now, uh,
1: Emotet's actually not new. It's been around for a while.
0: Oh, Okay, it's not new. It's just, this is a new capability. <laughs> it's a new capability. <laughs> so, Emotes that steals credit cards from Google Chrome users. Um, this is a reminder um, to try to avoid storing things in your browsers. It's just generally kind of a challenging thing to recommend on our ends because we've seen so many attacks where they've been able to steal a password from your browser and now your credit card from your browser. So, just be careful storing things Histories, in your browser. Histories, cookies, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Our next uh, article isn't really an article and doesn't have a headline. Um, This was a TikTok video that somebody shared on Twitter. And before you roll your eyes, this is a 1,000% worth watching because this is really impressive. So there was a video on TikTok of somebody driving down the road with a capybara in the passenger seat, which I'm here for. I love capybaras. They're awesome. Someone else took this video and took like a single shot, a single frame, and explained how they used that single frame to figure out the exact street and intersection where that video was taken. It's very impressive. I mean, it's you know, it's TikTok, so it's less than three minutes. So it's only a couple minutes long. It's wild to watch. And it's also worth remembering that metadata is not always technical. It's not just EXIF data. It's not just, you know, date, time, file, size, to, from, that kind of stuff. It can be, you know, the, the houses that are outside the window, the license plates. And, I mean, this guy even uses the, like, angle of the shadows to calculate what direction the street is running. It's really impressive, and I think you guys should watch it. It's a good reminder to be careful what you put online. And last but not least, um, (laughs) so the headline says, Axon's AI ethics board resigns over plans to surveil schools with armed drones. I'm going to quote the article. Nine of twelve members of an ethics board appointed by Axon to advise its technology decisions have resigned, citing the company's plan to install taser-equipped drones and pervasive surveillance at schools. That last bit probably deserves a whole investigation in and of itself. But um, what a weird timeline! Where just what a weird timeline where taser-equipped surveillance drones is somehow a, a sentence that somebody said and was not immediately shut down. All right, with that, we're going to move into our Q&A section, and we only had two questions this week, and the first one is uh, a little controversial, I think. Um, This comes from Grudy, who said, basically, what do we think about the fact that Brave does not want to be listed on Privacy Guides? Um, This extended all the way back when Privacy Guides was Privacy Tools. Brave basically asked, please do not list us. And uh, I think they have now, if memory serves. They just kind of like, well, screw you guys. We're going to list you anyways, because you're a great privacy tool. Grudy points out, he says, I don't see the reason for them not wanting to be there because they're a privacy browser. It's basically free marketing. Why wouldn't they want to be listed there? A lot of people chalk this up to malice. Uh, they say that like, well, Brave is doing shady things and they don't want the scrutiny. Um, that's possible. I'm going to go on record with a controversial opinion. I'm going to say like, to be 100% which I honest. Agree,
0: which I agree with, by the way. So we can, both, <laughs> we can go ahead.
1: Okay. Um. The privacy community can be a little toxic sometimes, you guys. And uh, obviously not everyone is. Like, the vast majority of privacy people are really cool, really chill people. And we love hearing from you guys. And we love being part of the community. But there's definitely some extremists out there who um, just are not fun to be around. And, you know, not to overuse the word, but really toxic people. And honestly, they probably just didn't want all the nitpicking. Like that's, that's what I think is they probably just didn't want everyone, especially in the early days, everyone crawling up their, their business and telling them what to do and telling them, you know, I don't know. It's just, it can be a really toxic space and I kind of don't blame them for just not wanting to be involved in that at all. So that's, that's my take.
0: Like, man, if I had a way to like do all this content and not have to deal with any communities, I would totally take that option personally, you know, like. I would love to be able to somehow like give people a safe place to talk without me needing to be a part of it because it does affect the stuff we do and it like sucks. And so I can't imagine having to be brave with their, by the way, really aggressive marketing <laughs> and then like advertising themselves to be super private. And then obviously the privacy community is going to be like, yeah, but, 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 but what about this? Oh, and what about that? And well, <laughs> and,
1: and you know what? Like to, to, to Okay, so like I said, most of the privacy community is really cool. But like we were talking about it earlier, um, it, it, the privacy community can be very unforgiving. And if you make one slip up, then all of a sudden people are nailing you to a wall. And I mean we've still got people – we've literally got people listing the fact that uh, – what's his name? Gabriel Weinberg from DuckDuckGo. He used to run a, a data collection company like 10 years ago and people are still bringing that up as a reason for why duck.go Duck, isn't trustworthy when in my opinion it's like maybe he saw how the sausage was made and was like whoa this isn't cool I don't want to be part of this I want to go do something else like if you make one mistake people are going to crucify you for the rest of eternity for it and like it's crazy yeah like, again maybe yeah. they just didn't want to deal with that crap they're like no we just want to go do our thing and not deal with all the toxic side that that would be my guess but again I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe they really do suck and maybe they really are being malicious. But if I had to put money, that's, that's where I'd put my money personally. All right. And our next question came from Philip who said, what do you guys think about internet censorship versus freedom of speech in the tricky issues of misinformation and hate speech? Um, free speech is such a weird thing, man, because like – and I, I'm not trying to be political here at all, but just as an obvious example, January 6th, there are some people who swear up and down that Trump got up there and incited a riot. And there's other people who are like, no way. He was obviously not advocating for violence. He just, you know, everybody got carried away. And to me, that's the tricky part about free speech is at what point is it, uh, you know, crossing that line and becoming a call to violent action in a not good way. And, uh, you know, same thing with misinformation. At what point is it, especially because that one comes about like from intention, at what point do you. Is it you are actively misleading people as opposed to like you misspoke or you were you you had your facts wrong by accident? Well that's and, why there's a difference
0: between misinformation
1: and disinformation, just just to outline uh, that. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. But But the point is it comes it comes back to like intent. How do you prove that? Exactly. You know? And it's it's very tricky and I don't think there are any easy answers. Um I I personally do believe in freedom of speech. I am not a fan of censorship, but also it's just – it's really tricky, man. And it's something I struggle with a lot too when it comes to, like, moderating and, like – like, I blocked a few people on Twitter and Mastodon, and that is not something I do lightly, Um, but – I don't. I don't think there's any easy answers. It's definitely a tricky.
0: It's not, and and I think it's really important because if you actually try to have this conversation with real people in your life, you're going to realize it's a very complex and nuanced issue. Which is oh, another absolutely. reason why I hate Twitter and all these other platforms because you're going you're not going to get any of that if you say, especially in 240 characters. Exactly. <laughs> if something happens and you go, well, I think they made the right decision. Someone's going to come back at you and be like, oh, so you don't like freedom of speech then? And it's like, no, that's not the point. And so I think it's a very complex, nuanced issue that is just very hard. There's no right answer. I think it's a very hard issue to deal with. Um, I will say just from our perspectives, like what do you guys think about internet censorship? I guess from my perspective, we have our own communities and they're our communities. I think we can do whatever the hell we want with them. If we have our own community and we ban you because you're being an asshole in our community. That's not <laughs> invading your freedom of speech, you know. Like we have freedom of speech yeah. too and it's our platform. We get to choose what we allow on the platform. So sure. there's a difference there. Freedom of speech isn't freedom from consequences. <laughs> the one and the one thing I really disagree with is I don't agree with doing things like unlisting movies or books. Yeah. Or or anything because it was made in a different time period. For me, I actually, yeah I that bugs hate, me too I hate Disney so much But one thing I really like that Disney did Is on Disney Plus They put a disclaimer before some of their Song older movies Song of the movies. South? They, oh, they didn't okay. relist Songs of the South I, I, What they did with Songs of the South I think is what I've seen Songs of the South Because I really wanted to see what it was about And it is problematic <laughs> um, But I wish that they still have the movie there But instead they educated people On why it's wrong because I think gotcha. that's more impactful than just removing it and try to act like it never happened. I think that yeah, it forces a discussion. It forces people to talk about it, think about it. It forces people people to wrestle with hard things, which is what I think, you know what? I think that's the takeaway for today. I think this is just all <laughs> like hard things to wrestle with. And I think the worst thing that you can do is not try to wrestle with those feelings and try to see all sides of the coin on this issue. That's I'll my takeaway. That. Well, I don't know how much of that discussion we kept in, but... That should spark a few comments. (laughs) So hopefully you all enjoyed that. Um, And now we're going to move into the outro. Um, So that was it for the week. Again, Apple's WWDC and all of their privacy and security updates. Telegram's lack of privacy and security updates. Twitter, handing out user data to Elon Musk and more. And of course, don't forget, if you like this stuff, support us via Monero, right? Much more private than Bitcoin. It's also direct to us. We split the money and it's great. It's private, and it keeps us free. Otherwise, we have Patreon if you want perks and you want to actually be able to p- join in these Q&As. We only had two Q&A questions last week, so if you want to join in and ask a question, there's going to be a Q&A live right when you see this, so you can go ahead and leave your question on our Patreon. Again, thanks for listening to The Surveillance Support. The final thing we want to ask you to do is to share the podcast around, make sure you subscribe, and give us a rating if you're listening from a platform where that's an option. We want privacy to reach as many people as possible, and you can help us do that. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Or, you'll see Nate next week.